I'd like you to take a second to think of either a high school graduate, um, a graduate from college or a graduate who is graduating from grad school or whatever grad kind of program they may be in. And I'm going to ask you to say a blessing for them. And so I'm going to ask you to take a moment, bow your head, however you want to do this, and in your heart, picture them and ask God to have favor on them. Ask God to protect, guide and protect them. Ask God to give them wisdom and understanding. Ask God that they might grow in the fear of the Lord for the greatest graduate course into wisdom is a deep respect for who God is. And pray that they would experience deep within themselves just the unsurpassing love of Jesus. That they might know who is in them is greater than the world about them. Amen. I love those pictures of graduates and some of you taught them, held them in nursery in fact. Some of you taught them in grade school or in middle school or in high school we're a part of those groups and we get to send them off what a cool thing that is I contrast that with what I have read in the paper recently six year old girl driving home with her mom after a long day of shopping and swimming in a lake another girl nine playing on a backyard trampoline with friends A third grade boy munching on potato chips in the back seat of his parents' car. Twenty children, twenty-two children have been struck by gunfire. Just those three in the last few weeks. Half of them of those twenty-two shot since March twenty-eighth. Nine-year-old Trinity Addison Smith was at a friend's house bouncing on a trampoline when a car pulled into the alley and someone inside fired several shots at a nearby house, striking her in the head. Yesterday, with a group of about 20 or I think from our church, as well as another 15 or 20 from both Zion Baptist and Faith Baptist, We began praying together about a year ago around George Floyd and said, can we do something? We live in the suburbs. What's happening there is a part of us. We're all tied together as God's children. And it was kind of interesting, Zion Baptist, because they've had white suburban churches come in and and maybe not respect or whatever. We're very hesitant and said, let's just pray. So we prayed together for almost eight months from noon to one on a Monday. We were first gathering at the two different churches and then in North Minneapolis area. And then we, uh, because of COVID, went to Zoom. And then at some point we started praying, God, what do you want us to do? Is there something we can do? And he led us to say, let's start praying every other week on a Saturday and let's go into an area in North Minneapolis and bring a group of people and walk at the different places and let's pray. And so yesterday we met from noon to two and we chose to pray in this area where little Trinity was shot 
I didn't realize how close. We start walking down James Street, heading to what's called Lillian Avenue North, right where she was shot. And we're praying. And there's a presence of God. There's some cool, powerful things going on, things that I call like wonders and signs. And at one point, as we're walking along, a car stops with a guy in it and his wife, and they're younger, and they're looking at us, and they're kind of asking, what are we doing? And we started to tell them, and we hardly got into what we were saying about you know praying for the area, asking for God to come, when he just started to unload on us. That he lived two houses or three houses away from the house of the girl shot. And you could see the agitation and the fear and the concern in his voice as he started to talk about how scary it is to live in this place. And that he heard the shots and he ran to the neighbor's backyard, grabbed his own child. And it wasn't long after that that this um, anti-violence activist came and started to comfort and console him. The same guy whose granddaughter was shot a couple days later, six-year-old. And I just thought, God, we've got to do something. This isn't their problem, it's our problem. We need to somehow, God, we need you to do something. And so all the stuff that's being done, all the prayer walks and, <clears throat> and, and, and the coming together and trying to get neighbors who, who will walk out in those areas to be a, a force of light, um, the legislative kind of changes and all the different things that I think are being enacted are really good, but one thing that's really clear to me. Now, we're not going to see wholesale change until people have Jesus. And I was saying, and I'm not downgrading all the other things we should be doing. It doesn't take away from any of that. But sharing Jesus and seeing hearts transformed from hearts that are filled like as we... That, that guy, we're praying for him, and we get done, and he points to his house, and he says, would you go up there? He didn't even ask us what did he just would you go up there? So we walked up that app block, and we prayed, because he wanted us to pray over his property. I, we asked him about where he's at, but we didn't... I don't know the condition of his heart, but I do know this. He had fear in it, but he also had even a greater fear, and that was he knew, as he saw us, that he wanted God's... His love, his presence prayed over his property for his family. I share all this because as we look at Acts, if we don't get anything from this study on Acts, if we miss this truth, we're missing the whole thing. It's all about expanding God's kingdom and sharing Jesus. And I have to share with you as a congregation, I am so glad we did what we did through this last year. I am so, I, I'm, I'm looking at the silver lining of COVID that forced us to stop and to pray, caused us to take a survey in that time, asked people to um, take a season of prayer and, and, and coming before God and, and meeting with one another, doing focus groups, and then 20, taking 21 days where many of the people gathered and said, let's make space for God through prayer and fasting. And we came to this. We said as a church body, and I will say this again and again, let's reach people for the gospel. Let's share Jesus. Let's go ahead and in, 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 in all the ways that we can embrace and empower this emerging generation. And let's all do it together. As I look at Acts, and I look at the heart of this chapter that we're going to look at right now, these verses, verses 1 through 20, 
It is another example of sharing Jesus. And I want to share with you, if you look at Acts chapter 13, verses 31 through 41, that which we looked at in the past week, you'll find here that Paul and Barnabas move into, you know, they're on this first missionary journey. They've just come from Cyprus. They're starting to go into um, the interior. Paul has malaria probably and some conditions with his eye, bad headaches, all kinds of other things are not good. Things got really bad after a really good start. They go to Pisidian Antioch, and what Luke wants to do in these verses, verses 13 through 41, is share with you a typical message of what Paul would share when he would go to a city, so that he doesn't have to say it the same thing over and over again. He says, here's the typical message. So that's what we looked at this past week. What we're going to look at this week, if you look at verses 1 through 7, it's what I would call is a typical pattern. So he just wants to show us what the pattern is, and you'll see this in every city they go to, so he won't go into it necessarily in the same detail, but he gives you a typical message, and now we're moving into the typical pattern in chapter um, 14, verses 1 through 7. And the typical pattern is this. They went and they looked for a synagogue to preach. And you'll notice this in Acts chapter 14, verse 1. It begins, the same thing happened in Iconium. Some translators will continue and they'll say, they went as they always did to the synagogue because they had a strategy. They went on a strategic basis. They'll go to cities where there's lots of scattered Jews, where there'll be Gentiles who are fearing God, and they'll start with this group of people who have some basis in which to share the message. So they go there, and then opposition surfaces. In spite of the powerful speaking of God's word, attended with signs and wonders, there still are some who reject the message. Opposition occurs. The next thing you see in the, in the pattern, it reminds me of these films where you see see um, two people, guys coming into town and, and they're being grabbed by their scuff of their neck and they're being forced to flee town. You see, remember the old movies? That's what you get. It's like they're forced to flee. They're thrown out of town. And, and as they're thrown out of town, they start heading to the next city. That's, that's just a pattern. But what you'll see also is in those towns where they were, the a group cut together and they kind of try and find out where they're going. So they're constantly being chased Eventually, by what we call Judaizers, people who were trying to keep the traditions and the Old Testament pure, they were afraid that this cult had come in, was disturbing what, what the Old Testament, what true Jews were about. So Acts 14, 1 through 7. Let's read it. I'm going to ask us to stand. Um, let's read it together. I'll read it. You guys can... Listen, the same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power and uh, that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. But the apostles stayed there a long time preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving him power to do miraculous signs and wonders. There is something about the word of God that I want us to hear this, that when the word of God is preached, he does come along and work in miraculous ways. It may not be an obvious, like we go a healing, but could be, but he, he brings evidence of his work in it. So it says, but the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews along with their leaders decided to attack and stone them. And when the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lucanoia. That's how it's said in Greek. I can't pronounce that one. Anyway, to towns of Lystra and Derby and the surrounding area. And there they preached the good news. 
Lord, open our hearts that we might be, we might be proclaimers of Jesus as our King who has forgiven us and has given us His rule to lead us in our everyday life. May we be so swept up in that, so excited about the experience of that, that we just want everyone to know of this heart and life transforming Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. What I want to do is share with you some principles of how to share your faith, okay? Um, we've talked about wanting to reach people for the gospel, and I know there's people saying, well, what are we going to do? Are we going to have classes and things like that? I want to tell you, you can have classes uh, on sharing your faith, and they're good, but what, the most important thing in the generation today is not some kind of, can you give me an intellectual message? It's more what has always been the way that you witness, and that is you tell other people about your experience. It's like when that guy who had been healed by Jesus of all his demonic spirits wants to go with Jesus across to the, the Galilee and he says, no, you stay home. He tells him to do two things. Go back and tell them all that God has done for you and tell him about his mercy. It's the two things that we're always supposed to do. So if you want a crash course in witnessing, here it is. Tell people about your experience with Jesus. Second one, tell them about mercy. He forgave you. That's it. Okay. Anybody can, can raise your hand if you think you could do those two things. Okay, I, I'm putting you in a spot. Yes, you just passed the course of witnessing. You're all certified and commissioned to share your faith and tell people about Jesus. So, as we go through this, I want to share with you some principles. I think some things that are really, really important for you to understand. And the first thing is that Paul had a strategy. He looked for the most prepared. One of the things that God tells you to do is keep your eyes out looking for those who are being prepared by God. God has been doing a work in their life. The reason I say that is if you look at this passage of scripture, you'll see that's exactly what Paul does. He keeps going to, he usually strategically wants to use his time as well as he can, goes to large cities. He knows in the large cities he's going to because of the way the Jews were scattered years before that when Assyria and Babylon came through and had this this diaspora take place. He knew that in these large cities, there would be synagogues. Most of the cities would have Jews. And he went to the Jews because strategically he knew that he would not have to start from ground zero. He could actually start at the place where they needed, where they were most prepared. Guess what, guys? God gave you the law and the law and the sacrifice and everything. You know what they point to? What the prophets all point to? Jesus King. He's forgiven you and he invites you to lead him, let you lead let him lead in your life. So he goes to these people. And, he, and they were foundational. He, he goes to those who are prepared to hear, those who are most responsive. It's not much different than the principle you find in business. And it's the idea, you know, you, you build off your strengths. You know, what, what are the strengths you have? And so, like, in a business, if you have some strengths, like, let's say you can build chairs, a, a pretty smart thing might be to go to build sofas, right? Probably don't want to go right to building swimming pools, so what I mean by that is in spiritual principles as well. God kind of works with people a lot of times as he's preparing people and a person's in a place where they have some background and understanding. You can start with that person and, and if they've been prepared and God's been preparing the soil of their heart, there's this preparing that's going on that, that allows for you to be in a place to reach them with this message of Jesus. There was a time, I remember when I was um, in seminary, I had a professor who had said, some of the easiest people to reach with a personal relationship with Jesus can be Catholics. 
I said, why? He said, because they at least understand the fear of God and they know the Ten Commandments. Which is really true. And I talked to George Kenworth when he was in Mongolia. He said one of the hardest things about his ministry in Mongolia is that you had to start at ground zero. And, and, and by that, they were completely pagan in one sense that they had no concept of sin. So now you've got to start and you've got to help them understand even what the concept of sin is. So he starts with this um, building off the strength spiritually. I want you to think for a second. These are diagnostic questions I want to give you. I want you to think about them and honestly ask them in your heart. Are there people around you that God has prepared? Anybody come to mind? Are there people who are your neighbors who are next to you, God had them either move next to you or you moved in there, that are more than people that you're just going to have casual conversations with? Again, now this gets a little scary, Right? Is the person that Jesus may have brought on your management team there to do more than just hit KPIs? Are they there more than some just business targets? Is the parent who is standing next to you at a soccer game, a baseball game, a parent who is standing at a, you know, behind the boards at a, in a hockey rink, uh, at a band concert, I could name them all. Are they there just because their kids are there or has God placed them there because he's possibly preparing their heart? Has the Spirit of God been preparing someone near you? And here's the real question. Are you excited about Jesus? Are you experiencing Jesus And are you inviting them into something that's attractive? Let's move to the next one. Ask God for to move in yours and their life. That's the second principle that I want you to notice from this passage of scripture. So first, who is God preparing? Is my eyes looking for it? So here's this. How do you share your faith? Here's how you do. You begin by saying, who's God preparing? The next thing you start asking is, God, where are you moving? Are you, where are you moving in someone's life that I'm beginning to notice you at work? And where do you need to move me? I think both those things were things that Paul and Barnabas were asking. They were basically, another way to say this is, God, would you get their attention and then get my attention on where you're getting their attention? Okay? So, verse 8 through 11. While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth. So he had never walked He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized that he had faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, which is what happens so often when people get really excited. If If you know people who speak two different languages, you always go back to your mother tongue. Because it just expresses your heart. And so they're in their local dialect. They're going, these men are gods in human form. And they're just like, whoa, God's got their attention. I'm sure that when Paul and Barnabas had left the city, had been roughed up and were walking to the next one, I imagine they may have talked a little bit about the past, did a little kind of review, evaluation, how to go, what can we do better, what, you know, that kind of stuff. But I, I think also as they were walking, they were praying They were asking God, God, as we move into this next place, 
and we go to where you want us to go, would you prepare hearts? Would you get people's attention? Would you need to do what needs to be done? And would you help us have spiritual eyes to see what you're doing? When we pray on these Saturdays, one of the things that we know that God has called us to do, and what's really cool is Pastor Brian from Zion is now working with other pastors to get more groups praying like we're doing. You, as a church, have had some influence in that happening. And, and when we pray, you know what we do? We say, God, we're going to pray for these areas. We're going to claim this land for you. We're going to claim your peace on this. And we pray all different kinds of things. But one of the things we pray for is spiritual eyes to see, is there someone you want us to talk to? And it's so amazing how God has led us to people where I would just say, I got done. In fact, the numbers, we just, we go, signs and wonders. God orchestrated this. We could never do it. And so they're praying this as they're walking from one city to the next. They're asking God this. They arrive at Lystra. They start talking um, to the people there. And as they're talking, there's a guy who's lame. He's never walked since birth. This guy is all ears. He's listening intently. Possibly a sign that maybe God's working in his heart. Acts 14.3, Paul looked at directly at him and saw. He noticed With spiritual eyes, he noticed this guy. And he noticed something, that he had faith for healing. I'm guessing that when he looked at him, in his mind, I wonder if he didn't go, Jesus, what should I do? And Jesus goes, you you remember that healing I did back in the first part of the book of Acts? And he probably didn't say it like that. But anyway, do that. And he does it, and people are amazed. And he's got their attention. Verse 11, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in like to the Lyconian language, the gods have gone down to us in human form. And Paul and Barnabas have no idea what they're saying because they don't know this dialect. One of the things they don't know is they come to the city. This is not a city that has a synagogue. It wasn't a large enough city. It was actually a rather rustic backwoods kind of city. There were now, there was hardly any Jewish influence. It was totally a pagan city. And what you're going to find here is in this passage of scripture, what Luke is doing, he showed us how he comes and he gives us message that he would give to a synagogue. Now he comes to this one. He shows us the kind of message that is also replicated in Acts 17 when it's just a Gentile, a crowd that doesn't know God at all. And so he's there and he, he, and he's gotten their attention. This is what God wants you to do. And you can do this, guys. You can say, God, where are you preparing people? And you can begin to pray and say, God, would you get their attention and get mine? And then when he does, say, Jesus, what do you want me to do next? Um, I will never be able to guess what Jesus will tell you to do next. He is so incredibly creative. But the only thing that's going to really make a difference is if as he starts telling you to do what to do next, you obey. Say, God, I'm going to go ahead and do this. I'm going to follow you. The next thing is this. Here's another principle that you should be aware of. It's found in verses 11 through 13. Be prepared for God to do much more than you imagined. This is another way of saying just pray as you're praying for those who are most prepared and praying for God to get their attention, your attention. Pray also with expectation. That God is probably at work and going to do something you just weren't able to imagine. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, verse 11, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes. And since he was the chief speaker, 
since he since Paul was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town, so the the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bowls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates, and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. All that Paul and Barnabas know is that they're chattering in all kinds of language and they're really excited. They've got their attention through what just happened. What they don't know is how God had done something underneath all this to get their attention. There's a story that was local in their own city um, in Lystra about Zeus and Hermes, which are the Greek names. If you would want to know them in the, in the Roman names, you would know them more as Jupiter and Mercury. And, and because Barnabas was probably in considered throughout history and tradition to be a taller kind of a, you know, he was one of the priests who came from Cyprus and he would, he probably had some aristocracy background to him. He, we know that he gave a lot of land and he had money and, and, and he probably looked the part of Zeus. He was quieter, but here's Paul. Paul's a littler guy. He's got, he's been sick with malaria. His eyes aren't looking good, but he's a talker. He's just talking nonstop. And they go, whoa. When they saw the miracle go, they go, whoa, this guy is Zeus, Barnabas, and this guy, Paul, is Hermes. They've come to visit us. Now you go, why would they make that up? Well, first of all, there's um, a story by Ovid. He's a Roman historian at the time of Christ. Let me share this other one first, too, because this was also found in the records. And I used to always think Dr. Seuss was so creative, but I found out he's a plagiarist. It says, I, this is from Dr. Zeus, which is in the, the archives. I don't like Greek eggs and lamb. I don't like them at all, madame. Not with Hades, not with all the ladies, not as a treat, not an island of... No, anyway, anyway. Thanks, Sarah. She found that. One of our archivalists. Um, no. Anyway. Ovid, this Roman historian, shares this story in a book called Metamorphosis, which was written just a little bit before Christ. Okay? This is what's happened in this area. <clears throat> the myth recounts a time when Zeus and Hermes found no hospitality in the city of Phrygia, which was not near, which was pretty close to where Lystra is. Until they came to the home of an elderly couple named Philemon and Baucus. They had lived not too far away from the city of Lystra, which is just on the edge of Lystra, where we're at. In return for their unselfish generosity, the married couple asked only two favors from Zeus and Hermes. That they would be caretakers of the temple and that they would die together so that neither would have to grieve the loss of the other. And according to the myth, their wishes were granted and the two were transformed into a pair of trees adorning the steps of the temple in Lystra. So they come, coincidentally, which we know there's always providence. They have no idea. It's more than what they could ever imagine. They come into this place unbeknownst to them. They look the part of Zeus and Hermes. They perform a miracle, and the people are ecstatic. They start collecting wood. They look for the fattened cow. They're going to sacrifice, and they're going to do something for these gods who have once again come in their midst. And Paul and Barnabas have no idea of this legend. They can't even understand what they're saying. But they do know this, God's got their attention. I need to let you know that in this place, Timothy comes. We don't hear about it here, but later, that's where Timothy comes from. And he, there's a number of Greeks who in this place came to faith in Christ. Because God was getting the attention of some people he had prepared and got the attention, not only of them, but of Paul when he did the miracle and he used this thing behind all of it. 
is God knows how to tie together experiences that you would never be able to imagine. I remember one time praying a number of years ago <clears throat> with a, a friend of mine, and as we prayed, we are praying for this person, and we were praying actually for their salvation, and <laughs> the person next to me said, you know, God keeps giving me this word. I can't even remember what it was. It was like flag or something. I don't know what it was, but, and I'm, I go, this, you know, wait a second. This is kind of weird. I'm thinking. And the person says, does this mean anything to you? And the person starts to cry. And they said, when I was a little kid, my grandmother used to always pray. And she would always use that, whatever word it was, in some context. I, I have no idea how God is at work in situations, but he is. We may not even know it till the day we stand in heaven and we see unveiled things. But I want to ask you to think about this. That when you are praying, pray expectantly that God will do something. And then if you go on verses 14 through 18. <clears throat> but when Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they uh, tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We're merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. So now they're speaking to Gentiles who have no kind of understanding. They go back to the creator God who created them, has a plan for them. They have a choice. They can respond to his goodness and they reveal all that. And so then they go, for instance, he sends you rain and good crops and give you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Just a principle, when you start sharing with people, don't assume they know anything. Okay? Try and take them where they're at, but don't assume, don't make assumptions. Just begin as best you can with the basics. The best basic is what you've already been commissioned in, and that is share experience, tell how God has had forgiveness, and then begin to ask them and, and listen to the Spirit and, and, and begin to build a relationship with Him and let God lead that and direct it and continue to move with God in that process. Now Luke shows how Paul deals with these uh, people who know little about it and he gives this but even as he's doing this it says that they, they had difficulty still trying to restrain people from wanting to sacrifice to them so verse 19 and 20 says then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and, and they won the crowds to their side and they stoned Paul and dragged him out of town thinking he was dead but as the believers gathered around him he got up and went and this kills me he went back into the town Paul are you nuts? And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. You may wonder, as I did, how, how people can go from proclaiming them to be gods to dragging them out of town and stoning them, right? You know, just about 200 years ago, we had an example of this. A, a guy whose name was Captain Cook, who was exploring and found the Hawaiian Islands. As I was doing this research and work on this, uh, this story came up, which I thought was really interesting. Because uh, it, it seems far-fetched that you would think a person could turn so quickly around. But um, Captain Cook, uh, and when he explored the Pacific, comes to these people on this island of Hawaii. And, and there is a, a museum actually there in Honolulu that marks the spot where this story occurred. And what happens when they came there, um, they thought they were gods. And, and Captain Cook loved it. It says, in, it says, quote, for a, a month he exploited their good, um, their good, wi- their good will. 
they, he was taking it in. It, exact opposite response of, of, of Paul and Barnabas who go, whoa, stop it. We're just servants. Not Captain Cook. He was loving it. Until at one point, they're in that, about for a month, in that period, one of their crew members dies and they start talking. They don't know what Cook and his buddies. They start wondering about, are these guys really gods? One of the guys just died. And as, as Captain Cook, this, this, the story goes, was, um, was doing something, one of the local guys forgot he was a god, got angry with Captain Cook and whacked him really hard in the head. Captain Cook got stunned and he made this loud cry and he was in pain and he goes, there is not a god. And guess what? They all jumped him and killed him. So, yeah, that stuff happens. Be careful when you start accepting a lot of praise. The moral of the story. The last thing I'm going to say is ex- expect opposition and criticism. You're entering the Satan's domain and he never gives up territory that he has claimed easily. Turning around the spirit of fear in North Minneapolis isn't going to happen over a few walks and a few prayers. It'll happen as the body of Christ says this is no longer Satan's territory. We're not going to see six-year-olds and eight-year-olds and I think a ten-year-old shot sitting in cars or playing in a backyard. And we're going to do something about it. I would love for us, I'm going to ask the team to come forward. They're going to lead us in a time of prayer. It's 11 if you're on live stream or if you need to go. We always say at 11, please feel free. Um, you'll look conspicuous as you walk out. But that's, no, anyway. <laughs> I, want to, I want to give you permission when they lead. Um, but I also want to say, church, would you put a stake in the ground for yourself personally? And say, we are going to share Jesus. If you've never even taken a step in this, would you just open your heart and say, God, I want to learn how to do this. I want to be open for you doing this in my life. If you're scared, bring that fear to God. But I'm asking you, because this is what we've said we want to do. I'm going to ask every one of you, are you in the game? Are you willing to do it at whatever level God's calling you to do this? Because because. Our world needs it.